Deshaun Tate back with you. Episode 33 of Tate's Take, where basketball lives. Feel free to make yourself comfortable. Buckle up, as I teased it a little bit before, especially if you were paying attention on social media at Tate's Take Hoops on all social media platforms. T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Again, where basketball lives and or anywhere you find your favorite podcast streaming there, that being iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Red Circle. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, and of course, streaming live on YouTube, as you can see there at the bottom as well. What you'll also see there at the bottom, feel free to comment below with any of your questions, comments, concerns, opinions, suggestions. The whole nine I told you is going to be a stupid, wacky one here on today. Uh, for Tate's take, as we're going to be talking a little bit about Lute Olsen, Big John Thompson, the passing of those two guys, in addition to Cliff Robinson, a former uh, Piston from my neck of the woods and uh, probably most known for the time that he spent in Portland. Uh, so without further ado, I want to get to it because uh, we got very limited time and I know that I don't want to take up too much of these two guys at times. Very, very busy guys. Let's first bring in um, my first good buddy of mine and former uh, colleague, but lifetime friend, Arthur Trish, who happens to be, let me bring my boy up right here. There you go. I, I, I knew I can get him on here, man. My dude, AT, former sports uh, executive and sports management ambassador, the very first African-American PR director in the history of the NBA. Man, you got a long list of, uh, of resume, AT. What's popping? I'm not sure if AT can hear me, but um, I'm going to try and make sure that there ain't nothing going on on my end. I'm not getting anything on my end necessarily. That might be just necessarily on AT's end. Uh, let me bring in my, my 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 other homie while I bring AT out just for a quick second to get that thing figured out. Stay right there, AT. I'm going to try and finagle some stuff. My dude, Sekou Smith, uh, NBA writer, reporter, senior analyst from NBA TV, also host of a podcast. This dude's all over the place doing all sorts of really sweet stuff, man. Say cool. What's popping? Deshaun, what's up, sir? What's the deal? Man, and just uh, really excited about this basketball dude. I think more impressively, more than anything else, is the fact that there has been um, no positive testing within the NBA bubble. We know that you're there right outside of the Orlando area as well. I think that that's been really awesome. Let me try and get AT back in here on the line with us. Um, there we go. AT, you, you with me? Can you hear me? I'm not sure while I can't necessarily get AT in, maybe it might be a bad connection of some sort. He'll try back again. Um, I, I said I was going to do this. I was going to wait. I, it kind of spoiled my moment, bro, but I'm going <laughs> to take the headphones off for just a second. Say cool. Cause you know what I, when it, when, when Sekou confirmed with me earlier today that he was going to come on and talk some hoops with me, I told him I can only do it one way. So let me <laughs> give me two seconds while I do my thing for my boy A.T., who's originally a Michigan native as well, coming from Gun Rule, coming from Grand Rapids. And I know how he rock. He likes to do his, his maize and blue thing. So I just want to make sure I'm doing it properly for him. We had a fun little bet going on, my dude. Uh, uh, just to inform the people real quick before we get into it, I text Sekou. Shortly after uh, Imani Bates's um, commitment to Michigan State, and he said, "Dude, we're not going to see Imani Bates in a in a green and white uniform. No. If that happens, I'll wear a Sparty costume down Peachtree Street." So, just to confirm with the folks, bro, <laughs> full I'll be in full Sparty outfit, dude, running down Peachtree. <laughs> if it happens, There's, why would he go to college 
in a, you know, in a couple of years, not only will the rule be changed possibly by then, but these other options these kids have, man, he's, he's a one-way ticket to the league. Why would you interrupt that by wasting your time in these lands? As we know, as it stands just on today, I don't want to bust no bubbles <laughs> or step on no toes. As it stands today, Imani Bates is a Michigan State Spartan to be. So we're just kind of going to leave it at that. I think AT trying to come back in. We'll get to him in just a second. Um, I want to get into first talking about a couple of these guys. You take your pick on whomever or whichever way you want to go with it. Appreciate you for joining us. Lou Olson passed at 85 um, earlier this week. Uh, Cliff Robinson passed away as well. I think 53 was his age, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. somewhere in that range. Yeah. Uh, and then Big John Thompson. Uh, age 78, who happens to be his birthday today. So happy birthday to him. Um, no do you have any interesting stories or anything along those lines or what's most memorable about those guys that, that you can recall in your time in this business? Man, the, the most interesting thing for me was, uh, you know, I grew up like a lot of people in, in our era, um, idolizing the Georgetown Hoyas, loving Michael Graham, you know, Pat Ewing, all the grimy dudes who used to ball for Georgetown. But I had the unique opportunity as I got older and in the business um, to to have my own spot, you know, in podcasts and then to be a guest on on radio shows and podcasts over the years. And John, I was a guest on John Thompson's radio show several times. Um, so I asked his producer one time, I was like, yo, I was like, I come on John Thompson's show all the time. I was like, I would love if he could come on my podcast. And yo, he like, not only did he come on it, but he like, he beasted, you know, he went off. He was like, he was unbelievable. Just so, so clear and, and so forthright about what he was talking about, man. And he's, he reminds me of my dad and, and his brothers um, in that black men of that era in this country, they just don't play that. Like you don't, you don't come at them half baked. You better know what you're talking about. You better come at them with the right kind of handshake and the, you know, and the right kind of respect because they'll check you on the spot. And I and I dig that. I always dig that about him. Um, he got universal respect, uh, you know, around the world, not just basketball lanes, but everywhere. Um, you talk to anybody, business, whatever. John Thompson commanded the ultimate respect when you, when you dealt with him, and I think that's his legacy. In addition to all of the great stuff he did for the game of basketball and for young black men who were looking to use basketball as that platform to elevate themselves in their, in their lives. Um, he'll be remembered as a guy who stood for something and who was always about the business of, you know, progress for black people. And that's special. RIP to the, uh, to big John Thompson, man, the first African-American head coach, uh, to win a national championship, obviously there at Georgetown, 1984, we heard the list of names, between especially the bigs, man, Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, uh, even though he didn't win, some of those guys didn't win a championship, Roy Hibbert in that conversation, a lot of the bigs. Uh, and and we just, you know, kind of always heard uh, what about the type of guy that he was. I had the opportunity to just kind of meet him and shake his hand. He was very stern and gave me a really firm <laughs> handshake. I don't know if he got any daughters or anything like that, but I wouldn't have been yeah. one that would have been standing in line trying to meet, <laughs> trying to meet dad or nothing like that. Uh, uh, and I appreciate you checking in with us. Say cool. I'm trying to get AT back up in here, but it'll be coming yeah. in here in just a second. 
Um, yeah. I think I think Big John's Hall of Fame status too. Like you look at he he produced four Hall of Famers. How many uh-huh. how many guys can say they not only coached but you know mentored these guys into their adult lives um, and and they ended up in the Hall of Fame? That tells you not only what kind of basketball coach he was, but just what kind of man he was. And, uh, you know, I think he came along at a time, man. Like I remember Deshaun, even in Grand Rapids, like if you didn't have a pair of Hoyas, the Nikes with the Hoyas on the back, you didn't have nothing, dude. Like I remember when I remember distinctly when that was a thing, Cats was losing it trying to get them shoes. You know, like you, if you either had them or you didn't, you know, you was either in that club or you weren't. And it wasn't, there wasn't a doubt who the team was. In the in the neighborhood, it was Georgetown. Every, you know, we rooted for the Hoyas no matter what. I remember the first time we saw Michael Grant. Like me and my brother, and my cousins, we went crazy, man. You know, ball head dude, grimy yeah. as I don't know what. You know, I was like, man, he was the quintessential Georgetown baller. Um, and we, you know, everybody loved Patrick Ewing. You know, when I was a kid, like he was to see a dude that big, that dominant. You mm-hmm. know, he'd come out and swat like the first four shots no matter what. Didn't care if he got goaltended. You know, I think John Thompson told him to do that, like go out there and intimidate this other team, swat everything that comes towards the basket, you know, that sort of thing, man. He was just a – he was a unique individual, a very, very unique, special person at, at, at the perfect time to me for the culture and where we were going, you know, in the 80s and, and on into the 90s. 97% graduation rate amongst four-year players, dude. And, I mean, I, I, I can't – I literally thought on all the way up until I've seen some other people talking about it, tweeting about it, texting about it, that I thought I was the only one that thought that Georgetown was an HBCU. Like I swear <laughs> up until a certain point, like I really thought that Todd really started getting into the whole institutions and everything like that. Yeah. And I was like, dude, they in the big East, but how is an HBCU in the big, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, well, maybe they're the first or something like that, whatever, whatnot. But um, it's just crazy to, to just to put all of those things together. Um, and I also had the opportunity to um, meet Lute Olsen uh, mm-hmm. in 2007 at the Final Four in Atlanta. Um, and he I remember like it was yesterday he was coming off the bus. And I'm like, you know, at that point, I'm kind of still trying to get acclimated into this business. And I'm like, how you how you doing, Mr. Olsen? How you doing, <laughs> coach? He's like, man, just call me Luke. After that, I didn't know if he wanted to go have a cold one and kick our heels up and kick back or what he was trying to do, you know. But uh, certainly uh, condolences to the family and everybody that was affected between all those guys and even Cliff Robinson as well. We got A.T. back with us. Um, A.T., we kind of filled in a little bit on uh, Big John Thompson, telling a little bit of stories and whatnot, um, reminiscing a little bit. Ludosin as well. Cliff Robinson being another one. I know that you've been in this game for a really long time. Um can you have any, you know, memories that find memories that you would like to share with us about any of those, of those guys? Sekou, do you have a, a a fond memory of um of Cliff Robinson at all? Because this dude was like what six nine, six ten. I call him the headband man. Like headbands was never really, really <laughs> real cool until he was doing it. And we're talking about stretch fours, where all of a sudden in this particular era is like stretch fours, like the new thing, being you know long and lengthy. But at that time, it was about being big and bulky. He was the ultimate stretch dude. What what can you say about uh, the time that you maybe have spent or haven't spent, or what you've heard about Cliff? Yeah, he was he was definitely a um, a player who was kind of ahead of his time. Um, in an era when, you know, you think about 
Derek Coleman, Sean Kemp. You know, we didn't know what to call those dudes back then. Like bigs who could play out on the floor. Um, I don't even know if the term stretch would ever have been invented at that time. Uh, but I, the thing I loved and remembered about Cliff Robinson, like you said, was just the headband, man. He had his own swag. Like he played, and, and I, you know, I don't even, I never knew where he got the nickname Uncle Cliff from, like uh, Uncle Cliffy. Like people used to call him that. And I'd be like, you know, ballplayers always had nicknames. You're never sure what the origin of it was or, or why. But, uh, you know, the times I, I ran across him and dealt with him, man, he was fantastic. And he was a guy who had, you know, they're ball players, Deshaun, as you know, like some guys are Hall of Famers, you know, some guys are legends. And then there are those other guys who everybody has universal respect for. Mm-hmm. You never bumped into anybody that didn't respect his game, his work ethic, the way he went about his business. He was a great teammate. You know, Cassett played with him, loved him. So that tells you something. And you mentioned Lou Olson. We talked about John Thomas, the promise. Think about the guys we're talking about and then think about the people they're associated with. You you won't find a single person that will have something bad to say about these guys. So that mm-hmm. tells you they, they did it right. You know, they live right. They play right. They got the respect they deserve. Um, they put it in and left their mark on the game in whatever shape or form that was. And uh, and they can rest easy knowing that, you know, they, they did it right. What we saw on yesterday as we kind of transition a little bit, Sekou Smith joining us in the locker room right now, NBA writer, reporter, senior analyst for NBA TV, podcast host, um, dude, like the whole nine, doing everything you can find him on social media at Sekou Smith NBA. That is at S-E-K-O-U-S-M-I-T-H-N-B-A. Um, a game that we saw take place yesterday, which was the first one of, uh, of the doubleheader, the number three seeded Boston Celtics in a game two closed out the number two Toronto Raptors, 102 to 99. Um, what about this stuck out to you? Like, is is this series over? And I know I can imagine the answer is probably going to be no until it's over and so forth. And obviously these guys have experience, especially being defending champs and coming off of a championship season. But is this series kind of essentially over in your mind? And has the Celtics been the most impressive team in the NBA playoffs so far? I don't think it's over yet. I mean, it's it's definitely in a dangerous spot right now for Toronto. But this is a Toronto team that got down last year and won four straight, I think, to beat Milwaukee in the conference finals, you know, move on to the NBA finals. Now, they had Kawhi Leonard, obviously. So it's a di- different uh, ball game. But Boston has been super impressive. They've, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been a fan of the group that they have all along. I think Kim Walker is one of my, my favorite most underappreciated players. I wouldn't say underrated, but underappreciated. Mm-hmm. I don't think people gave him the proper respect for what he did when he was in Charlotte all those years. Mm-hmm. They looked mm-hmm. at it and thought, well, he didn't have any playoff success. You know, can you really put him on that, you know, pedestal with, with the top point guards in the league if they never do anything in the postseason? Kimball was a baller. For, you know, he's been a baller for a long time. Sometimes in this league, Deshaun, you don't end up in the spot where you can best take advantage of your talents. Like, and that doesn't mean you go somewhere and average mad points and put up crazy stats. But I'm saying you don't go somewhere where you're allowed to be the best version of yourself. And I think he's in that spot now with Boston. They are a dangerous team in the East. And to me, they're a dangerous team in general because they have the kind of perimeter talent with Kimba, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And they're doing this without Gordon Hayward, mind you. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got the kind of perimeter talent in this league 
that wins championships. Think about the Warriors, Cleveland when they won it in 2016, you know, and go on all the way back, you know, just start going backwards. You need that perimeter talent. Shaq is the last dominant big man who was the centerpiece of a championship team in this league, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Duncan, I guess you could say in 2014, mm-hmm. but he, it, they didn't, everything wasn't centered around Duncan. You know, the last time we saw a true low post grimy big man, it was Shaq. I mean, mm-hmm. Tim Duncan never wanted to be a center anyway, right? He never wanted us to call him a center. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, to, to have the kind of perimeter talent that the Celtics have gives them an opportunity to win and win big. And I think if they can continue to, amplify those matchups and really take advantage of what Jalen Brown and Tatum and Kimmer can do. That, that series is going to be really tough for uh, Toronto because I think Toronto's as good as they've been all year. They're finding out now the difference between having a Kawhi Leonard on your roster or not. You don't have that dude you can give it to on, you know, that, that six, six to six, eight wing. That's a bucket. And if you don't have him in a playoff series, you get behind the eight ball sometimes. Yeah, the the even the turnovers was wacky for 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 Boston and still was able to find a way to pull out a win. I think between their big three of Brown, uh, Walker, and Tatum of the team's seventeen turnovers, I think they had like thirteen or somewhere right around that range, which is crazy to even think yeah. of. Um, and just the experienced team that Toronto is, just to see them in this position, and I don't think anybody's giving up hope on them necessarily. Yeah. But this isn't Jurassic Park. This is essentially being in the bubble. I mean, it's a, it's a neutral site game. And I think it's, it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily the most appeasing thing to, to the, to the eye, but um, it's the best that the NBA has been able to do it. I think that they've certainly done a, a significant job uh, within themselves. Let me see if I can get AT up in this thing one more time. Cause I promise you, I'm not doing this on purpose. I know how y'all two get when y'all get together. We've been down at state farm arena multiple times, together and you know at knows me i've been around at for some years and usually i'm always trying to dominate conversations when it comes to basketball me and him have good conversations but when y'all two get together it's just like me (laughs) and one of my cousins i'm just a fly on the wall i'm just a sponge and we have so much fun we laughing and cracking jokes and can't say everything i want to say on here but i don't want to get nobody in trouble my dude at man was popping bro thank you so much for joining us my pleasure fellas how y'all doing today Man, what's up, man? What you doing with them bootleg headphones on? What took you so long, Bruh, man? These are these are branded headphones. I don't even have any like these. I thought I could still use my my beats. The beats weren't working either. I was like, "Are you serious right now?" Come on, man. Get get on here, man. Well, I apologize for the delay, and, uh, but uh, as Deshaun said, uh, talking basketball is what we love to do. And Seku and I spent years as uh, sidekicks uh, during my Hawks PR days and his beat writer days for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And so uh, I do miss being around him during this time of the year because this is when we certainly had the benefits of going through a long season and experiencing the playoffs and hoping we can go to the next level. And uh, I I know he's starting down in the bubble right now, so I'm going to have to keep in touch with him over the next few days, <laughs> few weeks to make sure he doesn't jump off a ledge or something like that. 
They got me wristed up, dude. They got me wristed up with this Mickey Mouse foolishness. I'm trying to get right. <laughs> I would have thought my boy was just coming out of the hospital if I didn't know no better with all Man, the wristbands right. around right. his wrist. Ooh. I'm just glad my boy AT done got back, uh, got back with us and got rid of that Obama phone that he was working with. <laughs> now, when, let me say, let me say this, my boy AT. I don't want to crack too many jokes, but let me say this because you mentioned how you and Seku like to go back. Y'all go way back. Now, I did a little bit of research. I done dug through the archives a little bit, and you won't believe what I found. <laughs> okay. That's an old oh, that school was... one right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. That's I, back in I, our day. I had hair, and he had a few more pounds. Yeah. Uh, so that <laughs> that was probably 2008, maybe? Yeah. That's when we used to count how many people was coming through the turnstile <laughs> at the highlight factory. We used to count them. Like, that's probably us counting. Seven, uh, eight, nine. He's not kidding. Because those, those early Mike Woodson years, they were brutal. And if uh, you were a Hawks fan, you know exactly what we're talking about because there were some lean nights and you knew good and well there was no chance we were going to win. So the next best thing outside of hearing people behind us have conversation was count how many people would be in the stands on that particular night. I hate to, I hate to speed it up a little bit. Um, Cause I know we're only working with so much time and getting ready to get into uh, the first playoff game of the night. So AT, I definitely want to get you back on here to talk about, you know, your relationship with John and being around a lot of these guys, uh, Lou Olson and Cliff Robinson and so forth. Uh, but I did want to get your opinion on this particular game that we saw in the nightcap on last night where we saw the Denver Nuggets win a game six. It felt like it was such a March Madness atmosphere. Y'all knew I was going to be the person to mention something about college basketball. Um, but the number three Denver Nuggets defeat uh, the number six seed of Utah Jazz, 80 to 78 in a game seven situation. Is, is this the best situation for if we want to see, you know, the most entertaining basketball to see Denver and the Los Angeles Clippers. And obviously the Clippers have been rested for somewhere close to right around about a week or so by the time that they play tomorrow um, is between your thoughts on that game last night. And where does the benefit come from a team who may be getting too much rest versus a team that is maybe not getting enough rest? Well, I think we, we saw a little bit of, of that last night in the fourth quarter, uh, no matter who won that game, their legs were going to be shot uh, going down the stretch. And I think they're going to uh, suffer that a little bit in game one, because if I'm the Clippers, I'm going to run Denver, <laughs> try to run them right out of the gym in that first quarter and try to build a lead and, and hope that they can't come back and steal game one. Because as you said, the Clippers have been off a while. And the same thing will exist for the, the Lakers in their next series when they uh, have to play either Houston or uh, or uh, Utah, not Utah. Um, City, yeah. Oklahoma City, that's right. And uh, we'll see tonight uh, who moves on in that, that particular round. But I, I think the advantage goes to the teams that have been off for several days because they, they're well-rested. They've been able to work on their game plans. And the other team, as you saw the reaction from uh, from uh, Murray last night when he was told he had to play Thursday night on ESPN, he kind of looked like, huh? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, two quick ones for you, Sekou. Number one, what was Jamal Murray thinking when he decided not to pull the ball out on uh, on that on that transition fast break that he was trying to create? I swear, dude probably wasn't going to have a job tomorrow in the event that <laughs> Mike Conley Jr. hit that shot. So between what was he thinking there um, 
And uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the next question I was going to ask. Let's go with that one first. What, what, what could he have? Oh, I know what the other one was. Why wasn't Michael Porter Jr. on the floor what feels like the whole second half? I mean, yeah. he's a dude that I don't get the feel that he's going to be a great fit for his situation in Denver. I think he's kind of being held back a little bit. I'm always going to be the person that's going to go with the light skin brothers. So I'm going to go with that for now. <laughs> what, says, what says you, Seiko? Well, I, I think Jamal Murray was thinking that Torrey Craig was going to dunk the ball. That's why I, I guarantee you he didn't think he was going to try and George Gerber finger roll the thing. Because um, if he was going to do that, he could have threw it back to Gary Harris. They could have pulled it out and ran the clock out. Um, but it's, you know, it's one of those heat-of-the-moment plays, man. And, you know, the, the bounce of that ball and the luck, you know, if Mike Connolly hits that shot, we, we're having a completely different conversation today about – both teams and about the future of some of those young players. You mentioned Michael Porter Jr. I, AT, I can't remember if I texted you during the game or not, but I was like, Mike Malone almost blew this game not playing his bench, the regular rotations. Coaches can get caught up in the moment too. They can get caught up in a game and lose sight of the fact that his his bench is what helped them stretch that lead in the first half. And then the second mm-hmm. half, he tried to he tried to ride his starters and they didn't have it, you should have went back to the bench like normal, and he didn't. And that's why Michael Porter wasn't out there. But you're right, Michael Porter could have made a huge difference during that comeback because the Jazz were coming. I, I I thought the more shocking thing was that the Jazz came back and took the lead. Had they won the game, they would have earned every bit of it because they, they they walked Nuggets down, to be honest with you. Yeah, they, they, played in the, they played in the second half like Denver played in the first half. And if, uh, if Conley had hit that shot, there would have been a few empty seats on that, that plane ride back to Denver today because they would have left some people back in Orlando. For real. I, I want to try and get these next two games in. I know we've got like T-minus five minutes before the next <laughs> game come on. And speaking of the next game, because uh, I definitely want to get you guys out here so you guys can enjoy it just like me. But um, this being a game that's going to be coming up, it's a doubleheader on tonight. The first one being – uh, game two of number one seed in Milwaukee against number five seed in Miami at 630. By the time most people see this or hear this, it's probably going to be done and over with. But I want to give you two guys the opportunity to be you heard it here first type guys. Um, is this kind of what we expected first AT and then Suko, uh, Seku, uh Excuse me. Is this kind of what we expected from Milwaukee? And uh, in comparison to Boston, maybe Miami might be the most impressive team not just in the East, but in the playoffs so far? Well, I definitely think Miami is the most impressive team that we're seeing in the East right now. And Sekou and I have been talking throughout Milwaukee's first-round series and how difficult it seems like everything is for them right now. I think they're missing a big portion of their team from a year ago and um, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I think every uh, as with each and every game and how far they go along in these playoffs, they're missing his his leadership, first of all, but also a compliment to uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, it's uh, they need every bit of, of support they can get from their bench guys. And they've been a little bit uh, uh, erratic thus far, but they're going to have to play much better than they did in game one, because right now Miami has all the momentum and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Miami wins this game today as well. Yeah. Say I, I your think, quick thoughts. Yeah. I think the biggest <clears throat> issue, excuse me, that um, the Bucks are dealing with is that Miami is a really good matchup for them. They have Bam Adebayo who can play, straight up in the middle and it doesn't allow Milwaukee to exploit teams the way they normally do around the basket. That, that wall that everybody's talking about them putting up for Giannis. Well, it's really a wall with a, a very 
high level big man in, in Bam Adebayo who's in the middle of it. And that's a difficult thing. The other part is Milwaukee, just like last year, is a team that's built to play at a, at a default setting. And when they get in the playoffs and have to change that, and, and if, if your coaching staff cannot mastermind a way to make those in-game adjustments to take pressure off guys, they run into some issues. And I think right now they, they're having the same kind of issue against the Bucks. I mean, I'm sorry, against the Heat that they had last year against the Raptors. So you got to be careful if you Mike Budenholzer and his staff to make sure you change up and tweak whatever you have to in-game. It can't be a game-to-game thing. It's got to be within the game, the course of these games, to make those adjustments to help your team out. Not to mention the lack of bench production one, one, coming from go, – go ahead, go ahead, AT. Yeah, I was going to uh, – to your point about the bench production, they get a good plus with Eric Bledsoe coming back tonight. So hopefully he can provide some scoring punch that they may have lacked uh, because uh, for whatever reason, those gunners and those shooters they had coming off the bench haven't really been as effective in the playoffs as they are during the regular season. So they've got to step it up. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Dante DiVincenzo and uh, Pat Connaughton just don't seem to have really be doing very much for them the way that you combine in, what, three points, I think, last game and somewhere close to like 30-some, 40-some minutes combined between each other. Um, and then even for Miami, where you have Kendrick Nunn, who was in the race for Rookie of the Year, and, uh, and, and Duncan Robinson, a Michigan guy, uh, yep. and, and – um, um, who am I thinking of? Tyler Hero didn't necessarily have outstanding games like they're capable of having for this team. So it could be even worse for Milwaukee. Last but certainly not least, let's get to this one. The one a lot of people are looking forward to game seven. I know I'm specifically pulling for OKC on this one. Um, uh, number four seeded Houston, number five seeded OKC tonight, 9 p. Eastern Standard Time. You live for these moments is game seven. One thing I've always learned, gentlemen, at an early age is that you never want to go against a team or a player who really is playing with house money and don't really have a lot to lose. Are the Rockets not are, are the Rockets not taking the Thunder series? Because it kind of seems like that's the case. First 18 in Sekou. Well, I think the pressure is all on Houston. Uh, it's on Houston and, and Mike Tony to get this job done tonight. They've got to win this game tonight. Or you could hit you could see a lot of shakeup going on with the Rockets moving forward in the offseason. But I, I think that uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, if we've seen the best from OKC. We've been uh, up and down throughout this series. But I think in a seven situation, I like Paul much more than I like uh, Russell Westbrook. So I'm going with OKC tonight. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Rockets' biggest issue has been Chris Paul and, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Dennis Schroeder. Um, they've had a hard time containing those three guys like everybody else has had a tough time dealing with that three-headed monster in the backcourt for the Thunder. This is a this as AT said, Deshaun, this is a uh this is a, a serious moment for the Rockets as a franchise because this could determine the the direction of that team and certainly Mike D'Antoni's future based on what happens tonight. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys have really had an opportunity to join us man. Thank you so much. I know we're kind of up against it, has some audio issues, but I am glad that both of you guys took time out of your busy schedules. Sekou Smith, NBA writer, reporter, senior analyst, and soon to be, I think you missed this part, AT. Have you ever seen Sekou in a Sparty mascot uniform? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I know he's had his battles with uh, C. Smith and the guys, but no, I have not. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we got a friendly we got we got a friendly one going that if Imani Bates plays in a in green and white in a Michigan State uniform, uh, whenever that may be, next yeah. year, the following year, whenever that may be, he said he's gonna go up and count. down. He said he said he what up and down peach, twenty years don't count by the way. Up and down <laughs> Peachtree Street. Up and down Peachtree Street in a, in a Sparty uniform. So I got to see if my Aunt Betty can stitch me something up. Uh, NBA writer, reporter, senior analyst from NBA TV, also host of a podcast. And, of course, my dude, Arthur Trish, former sports executive, sports management ambassador, and the very first African-American PR director in NBA history. Find them on social media platforms at Seku Smith NBA and at at who that and I, I think I think I kind of had that one mixed up at XPR hoops guy. Am I correct? X hoops PR guy. There you go. X hoops PR <laughs> guy. I'm gonna have to get that one under control. Hey, appreciate you guys. Thank you so much and enjoy today's games. <laughs> no doubt, man. Appreciate y'all. No doubt. That was uh my dudes, man. My aces, Seiko Smith. I have so much fun with them two dudes, man. When I'm uh when I'm down there at State Farm Arena and we covering games and doing the stuff with the Hawks and all that good stuff, I just have so much fun, man, just learning a little bit. You know, a lot of times people want to pick my brain so much and then people don't understand where does all this knowledge come from? Well, it comes from some of my homies, guys that have been here before me and did this. Um, and just in closing, just want to make sure that I mention um, condolences one more time to the families, friends, everyone affected, uh, teammates of, including um, those who were uh, mentees to some of these guys between Cliff Robinson, um, who passed away at age 53, John Thompson, happy birthday to him. Big John Thompson, that is um, uh, former Georgetown Hoyas head coach, 1984 national championship winner and the first African-American head coach to ever do so. Uh, and happy birthday to him. And then uh, Lute Olson as well. Uh, who passed away at the age of 85 and the former head coach of the Arizona Wildcats and uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes passed away at age 85 and won national championship in 1997. Before I get out of here, I want to make sure I remind you all to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I can't stress it and say it enough to the podcast. Anywhere you find your favorite podcast, that being iTunes, that being Google Podcasts, that being uh, Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, the whole nine. Uh, make sure that, that that you go on and uh, and and just it's very simple. It's free. It just takes less than thirty seconds. Just hit subscribe. We also uh, stream live on YouTube as well. Don't forget also Monday through Friday, every single night, Monday through Friday, 15, 20 minutes roughly after the um last game of the playoffs for the night so just like tonight after game seven between the rockets and the thunder i always give a little bit of a recap i always say 10 15 minutes and i should probably stop saying that because lord knows that i like to talk just a little bit um make make sure that you go and check that out we have something called the final buzzer with deshaun tate where we just kind of recap the game recap the night feel free to come on there and leave some comments and uh, opinions and so forth. If you're up late, you got to put the kids to bed, help them with the homework, the visual learning thing, cooking dinner for the wife or for the husband or whatever the case, feel free to uh, get your basketball fix in that way. And last but certainly not least, remember to follow along on social media at Tate's Take Hoops, please. And thank you. You're doing a brother a huge, huge fave and a huge solid 
uh, by helping his dreams actually come true when you do that. Remember to follow along on all social media at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, where basketball lives. See you tonight.